United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. We've got another great show for you today. We begin with the new United Soccer Coaches College Programs Officer, Patricia Trish Hughes. She started on Monday and she's hitting the ground running. You'll enjoy my time with Trish Hughes. After her, Jeremiah Dempster sent out a tweet. Sean Chevro, the marketing man for United Soccer Coaches, saw the tweet talking about how the advanced diploma and the interaction online with Ian Barker and Vince Gansberg and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches made him feel validated as a coach. I love that Sean found the tweet and I love that Jeremiah Dempster answered my call to be on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. It is fascinating to hear him say how much he has grown by being affiliated with United Soccer Coaches even during this pandemic. And then we end by meeting two more members of our 30 under 30 class, both men, because we've already finished all 15 women. So we'll wrap up the men over the next several weeks. Today we meet Jordan Darling and Quade Curtin. That's our show. And it starts with the new United Soccer Coaches College Programs Officer, Trish Hughes, after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. My name is Dean Linky, longtime voice of the United Soccer Coaches, and I am thrilled to be with you today for a special webinar that will allow all of us to meet the new United Soccer Coaches College Programs Officer, Patricia Trish Hughes, whose first day on the job was March 8th. Trish Hughes is taking the place of Rob Kehoe, who is retiring after 12 years in the role. Trish's hire comes after an extensive nationwide search that included hundreds of applicants. Today, we'll offer all of us an opportunity to get to know Trish Hughes much better and learn about her future plans for the role. With that, I welcome Trish and congratulations on this exciting new role for you and welcome to the United Soccer Coaches family. Hi, Dean. Thank you for having me today. Super excited to be here. Just ready to join the, the team in my new role as college programs officer. It's just been a, a great first day yesterday and just uh, ready to get going and, and expand my knowledge with our colleagues out in the soccer world. All right, before we begin, let me tell everyone a little bit more about this role and Trish. The college programs officer serves as the advocate for the association's college members and the college game with the NCAA and other college soccer governance bodies. It is also the liaison for college soccer coaches to organizations including US Soccer, MLS, NWSL, NCA committees, and represents United Soccer Coaches on the Intercollegiate Coaches Association Coalition known as the ICAC. As Lynn Berling-Manuel, the CEO of United Soccer Coaches, so astutely said, quote, this is a 
crucial position for our association's advocacy for college soccer. And Trisha's wide ranging background in college athletics really gives her a full toolbox to draw from. Hughes was selected from an initial pool of more than 140 applicants that were reviewed by a search and screening committee chaired by former University of Washington head coach Leslie Gallimore, a friend of the program and a friend of the association. It was composed of a diverse group of college coaches that represented all divisions and both genders. The committee distilled it down to a final four candidates that were then vetted by senior staff and Lynn Berling Manuel, who made the final selection. Let me tell you a little bit more about Patricia Trish Hughes with hopes that she will add on this brief file. Hughes comes to the position after three and a half years as athletic director of Salem College in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. During her successful tenure at Salem, she led multiple community initiatives, developed a college-wide NCAA compliance education program, and implemented and monitored Title IX training strategy plans and processes. Her career path has included not only athletic administration at Salem, the University of New Haven, and the University of Montevallo. Is that how you say that? That is correct, yep. All right, but a wide variety of NCAA committees and projects. Head soccer coach roles at the University of Montevallo and Belmont University, assistant coach at Auburn University, and a stint as director of operations for a large youth soccer club. She also had a stellar playing career, which included both college and appearances for the Ireland women's national team, which is outstanding. Now, Tris, before we dive into this new role, let's fill in some missing pieces. Where did you grow up? Where does your family live? And where did you go to college? Sure, thank you, Dean. I grew up in Dublin, Ireland. I am one of seven children, very large traditional Irish family, just grew up initially at the time playing soccer on the streets with a group of boys because at the time the, the girls leagues hadn't really come to fruition. Um, at a very young early age I was, was brought into some new upcoming programs and uh, just was very fortunate to be surrounded by some, some really awesome soccer people. Grew up watching the Premiership and then eventually when I made my move to the US um, I was recruited to go over and play at Coca College in South Carolina had an awesome fun time there great playing career got a great education and currently my family and i live in charlotte north carolina we love our community great soccer community and just really excited to to kind of grow our family in with this role as we go forward i must say i'm jealous on my bucket list is definitely dublin ireland my wife will tell you i ask about it all the time i just want to go over there hang in the pub see all the green beautiful place right it's a magnificent place and a great soccer community in addition to what i would call the irish GAA community, a lot of great soccer talent comes out of, of Ireland. Uh, on the boys' side, if they're fortunate enough, they get to head overseas into the, the UK system. And then certainly we've had a lot of uh, phenomenal Irish women players who have come over to the US, but certainly are excelling now in the leagues in Europe, So, which is really fun to see. I'm glad you mentioned your family in Charlotte because you have a six-year-old son that just celebrated a big birthday. I do. Our, our young son, Patrick, who is a, uh, a total sports fan, um, thank God he is still invested into soccer in addition to baseball and some other sports. Uh, he fills our bucket for sure every day and he's just the center of our world. And we, uh, we're very fortunate to have a, just a really great supportive circle around our family here in the Charlotte area. And Trish, when did you know that athletic leadership and perhaps even more soccer leadership was where your heart is? Sure. So uh, when I came away to the U.S., I, was, um, I had a great mentor in my head coach, Tim Griggs who created a great family culture at the time for our women's soccer program. When I, when I left Coker um, and found my way into Auburn and some of the other programs, 
I really got a taste of the ability to grow into a role in a sport that I absolutely love. I mean, anybody that knows me will tell you soccer is at the core of who I am. And as I advanced through those different roles and landed at the University of Montevallo, halfway through my coaching career there, I found myself in a position where I was appointed as the interim director of athletics in a transitional period. That's when I really got a taste for administration. I had a college president, Philip Williams, who took me in under his wings and mentored me and helped me grow. But at the time, I just was not ready to give up my, my coaching wings, if you will. But over time, you know, I felt that pull for administration continue to grow and just the ability to impact students and student athletes at an even higher level beyond the field kind of, I felt like became my calling. Now, as we look at all the unique roles and jobs you've had leading you to this new position with United Soccer Coaches, how did these jobs help you embrace this new one with our association? How did they set you up to take on this exciting job? When you're a student athlete, you understand your own personal needs. And you, if you're fortunate enough to be invested into a program with good traditions and, and a family environment, you carry that lens with you into a coaching role. And when I became a college coach, I began to, to see the needs and, and understand how best to position our student athletes for success, not only on the field, but certainly in the classroom. As you progress up with degrees of separation from every role, and then when I went into an administrative role, in meeting with coaches and understanding the needs of our student athletes and what drives them to be successful and how we can position them for success on the field and in the classroom, I think you take all of those shared experiences and it becomes a great tool and a, a measuring stick, if you will, to understand and feel the pulse of where programs are, understand the student athlete experience because I've been a student athlete and sitting in an administrative role, it really helped guide me in leading and mentoring uh, some of our young head coaches and ultimately serving our programs. I'm very fortunate that I have transitioned on several occasions in these roles and I always try to, to leave with an open mind and an open heart, taking all the good and some of the, the challenging experiences to use them to help me as I work toward guiding. To come to United Soccer Coaches is it's just an awesome opportunity because it's really a culmination of all my shared experiences. And when I was going through the, the interview process, you know, one of the things I was able to talk about my role as a student athlete, as a coach, as an administrator. So when serving college coaches across the country, I feel I have a, a truly a, a tremendous lens on the challenges that they face, opportunities for growth and how we can expand our outreach and create truly an inclusive environment for the college programs across the country. We all need help along the way, Trish. Who have been some important mentors and leaders in your life, in your journey? Gosh, so growing up, you know, growing up, most of my idols were really, you know, the, the men's players, Viv Anderson, Roy Keane, David Beckham. Um, and then the name Man O'Brien came across, who was one of the first Irish women ever to go overseas and play in a pro contract. And that was ultimately the dream was to have an opportunity to make a, a living or a career out of soccer. When I came to the U.S., of course, Tim Grigg, who was the head coach of the college program, he was like a, an adopted father to me and took me in and, and kept me out of trouble and made sure I had good success and obviously graduated. As I've transitioned up, Jim Hurley, was one of my closest mentors and now a really strong friend. He was the director of athletics at Montevallo and really helped me understand the, the bigger scheme of being a director of athletics and how our impact and our reach can drive students to be successful. In the coaching world, Rob King was the first coach that I worked with at Montevallo. We had a new women's program and he's been a tremendous ally and friend and mentor over the years. But ultimately, when I look through the women's game and even the men's game, I mean, there are names such as Ray Reed at UConn, Becky Burley at University of Florida, 
who are really the, the, the legendary folks who have helped set the frame and the platform for new coaches coming through. And I must share, Dean, at Salem, I was fortunate enough to convince the administration that we needed to create our first ever Hall of Fame. And when we were looking for a guest speaker, which at a single gender women's institution, we wanted an impactful name and someone that had tremendous street cred. And I called Becky Burley and asked her to come in. And, you know, Becky's known for her amazing work at the University of Florida. She's a legend in, in division one and soccer circles. But when she came in to speak, she was so humble and gracious with our audience and talked about her humble beginnings as at, at Berry College and as a division three student athlete and how that impacted her and the roots she established. And so when you, when you look at that level of humility for someone who was so successful and her outreach and her um, support for not just women's coaches, but men's coaches across the country. I mean, those are the folks who have shaped me and to be able to come back into the soccer world and surround myself again with all these great people is just a, a phenomenal opportunity. And I will say I've had tremendous support and outreach and a lot of poking fun, of course, if you will, at my return to soccer and uh, just super excited. It's a bit of a homecoming for me and just thrilled to be able to come in and represent and advocate for college coaches across the country. Some great names you mentioned, of course, Becky Burley is a dear friend of the association and I know she feels the same way about the association. So glad you included her. All right, Trish, let's dive into this new role and some of your initial plans. And we'll do that with three specific questions for starters. First, how will United Soccer Coaches help college coaches combat challenges faced as a result of COVID-19? My goal initially is to, to meet with as many of the, the coaches and representatives um, at the various, not just the various divisions within the NSA, but all the other associations with the NJCAA, NAIA, community colleges, because I think COVID has presented tremendous challenges for coaches, particularly as institutions are struggling financially. My goal would be to share some of my experiences in understanding how to navigate and overcome the challenges that COVID presents, and ultimately do it in a manner that doesn't impact the student experience. And that's the greatest challenge, you know, working collaboratively with the director of athletics and just trying to create some partnerships and build and expand our, our network of allies to support the coaches in ensuring that one, we can help them sustain in their roles, but two, create new pathways for opportunity that go beyond COVID. And I think as institutions kind of reconfigure their, their own challenges and, and drive forward, my goal is to support and advocate on behalf of college coaches, certainly with the NCA and some of the other organizations, but be an authentic and trusted, you know, confidant and leader that coaches can reach out to and helping them with navigating some of the challenges that they face. So I think it's worth telling everybody, this is only day two for Trish Hughes on the job. And then of course, two days later, it'll be day four when part of this interview is heard on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. So we're coming at you with the hot lights on right away. But what do the next few months look like for you as you take on this role? Do you have any idea, Trish? Sure. We've talked essentially, it sounds uh, funny, but it's a, like a listening tour my goal is to reach as many people in the first 90 days as possible across the coaching platforms and, and listen and understand what the various challenges are. I have an overview of the various challenges with the, the respective divisions, whether it's Division One men at the 21st century model, a condensed soccer seasons, which makes things very, very challenging for folks. Summer workouts in positioning our athletes so that they can come in fitter and more prepared for what is a very robust and challenging fall season. And then really building bridges with some of the other uh, organizations that we collaborate with, working with the, the Advocacy Council, the Coaches Coalition, and listening and, and noting and 
just getting to work. I mean, folks that know me, my reputation is one that I like to lean in and I like to get things done. And ultimately my goal is to serve the coaches at every level and understand their needs and then drive forward and trying to help and support them as best I can. So I think that's worth repeating because I understand in talking with you as we got ready for this webinar and the subsequent podcast is that every level, not just division one, but division two, division three, NAIA, junior college, every level is important to you. And it's important that you support every college service member out there, right? Correct. So when we talk about my shared experiences, there's also a network of folks that I have collaborated with and developed friendships and relationships with professionally over the years, whether it's Molly Simons at the NJCAA, working with the division two athletic directors, working with the Division II Coaches Coalition and the ICAC, the Advocacy Council. So I have a network of colleagues who, in fact, I've already had tremendous outreach with prior to my first day on the job who are eager and excited to partner with me and help me as I drive forward with my goals and serving all of our stakeholders in the association. D1 men's legislative drive to the 21st century model was interrupted by COVID. They were that close to getting that vote. What do you see as the next step for moving this legislation forward? And before you answer that, it's obvious that we were able to make lemonade, at least the D1 schools, out of lemons. They kind of get a little look at what it would be like right now. And a lot of the D1 coaches are pretty excited about it. Sure. And, and so I, in my meetings with, with Rob Keogh, you know, we've talked at, at length with regards to the 21st century model. We know this is very important to the, particularly the men's coach right now with a 91% support for this within college coaches that were surveyed. When I asked questions, it was very, it was great to see the work that had been done with the Sports Science Institute. I'm working collaboratively with the NCA. I think with COVID, as you said, you have to seize the opportunity rather than see it as a, a step backwards. I mean, essentially spring becomes a trial run with the College Cup being held in Kerry in May for both the men and the women. I think it gives us a great opportunity to see how the spring would look like for them and ultimately how institutions could manage the addition of a year-round sport such as men's or women's soccer ultimately. I think you have to go in with an open mind and I think you have to find opportunity for collaboration. Dean, in my work when dealing with board of trustees or with president's cabinet, we have to work to find ways that align with the institutional mission, but certainly keep the student athlete experience at the center of everything we do. We have the data, we have the, the medical science that shows the impact of a condensed season physically on the student athletes. So I think we have to find a way to package all that use the opportunity for spring as momentum to push this initiative over the finish line. And I, what I know is they're very close. And what I know is that I have a, an energy and a passion to get things done. I'm excited to meet with the, the members of the D1 men's conferences in the next day or two and really hear from them and understand how they've been able to get to this point and what we need to do to push this thing through. So as I said, very eager and excited to get going. There's a little bit of research that will continue to occur on my part so that I can strategically position, so that I go in armed with the correct information and the, uh, the ability and the desire and eagerness to get this thing done. I think it's very important and I'm excited to see what the outcome of that will be. Well, not on purpose. It is fairly well documented that the NCAA can be at times, again, while not on purpose, non-transparent and a little bit slow as you try to move legislation or make needed changes for a sport. Knowing that, how do you feel like you need to get up to speed to be effective in this role as you are essentially a lobbyist between the United Soccer Coaches and the NCAA? 
it's not reinventing the wheel. I think it's building on what has already been completed, the work that has already been done. For me, it's marrying that with the relationships that I have in existence with folks at the NCA. In my work with the NCA, I have found them to be trusted colleagues. I think they want to support and help. I, I truly believe at the core of who they are. The student athlete experience is what is paramount to them. It's about relationships. It's about working collaboratively with the, the thought leaders and providing them the information and the data to make an informed decision, which I think is all that information is already there and in, in existence. And to spending time at the NCA and working collaboratively and doing the work that is needed. You know, we talk about sweat equity and our ability to lean in and get things done. And I'm, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and, and work on behalf of the coaches. I think this is a great initiative and I think it's an important initiative that will truly enhance not only the student athlete experience, but the retention of students. What we don't want is to, be, is to lose student athletes because they're frustrated that they don't get to play year round. Athletes don't stop playing. They want to compete year round. Coaches want to coach year round. And I think if we can find our opening and our window, I think now's the right time with COVID. I think you have an opportunity to show the success of a spring season in spite of COVID and then leverage that as you drive forward to, to push this thing through. Some of these questions, understandably, aren't easy because it is only day two. And how can you conquer the world in just two days, Trish? I know you're going to try and you're going to get there. But one thing that definitely triggered me is the fact that you have a heavy focus on D2 and D3. What are some major issues at the D2 or D3 level that you're already aware of or learning about? Yeah, and certainly I've experienced this both as a coach at Division Two and as an administrator of Division Three. I think this is divisional at every level. I think it's the idea of involuntary summer workouts and being able to position the athletes to reduce the risk of injury and to prepare them for what is sometimes a gruesome preseason with heat and high temperatures. And um, I think the condensed and compressed season creates challenges. I think the the burden physically on students and athletes in terms of their physical ability to compete multiple games in a week travel time, study time, and then certainly the whole idea of the recruiting calendar, whether it's division one and uh, the dead periods and, ma and making sure we're positioning our coaches to be successful because ultimately every coach is, is measured upon their success at their institutions with regards to uh, student enrollment retention, whether it's wins and losses, or ultimately what is your wow factor for your program. So what we want to do by virtue of these opportunities is position our coaches to be successful so that they can continue to sustain in the coaching roles. And again, going back to my experiences, I've had an inside lens in all of these areas, not only as a coach, but certainly how the challenges that athletic directors face when dealing with presidents and trying to push through initiatives that benefit not only the coaches, but ultimately the student athletes. So it helps me that I am informed. It helps me that I have existing relationships that I can try to work on, on coaching representation and do so ultimately in a strategic way, other than saying, we need to do this. The question becomes, why do we need to do it? And what data can we present to support our advocacy? And I think that's where my listening comes in. It's getting an even greater understanding of the, the needs of not just, you know, the division one, but certainly division two, II, division three. You know, my goal is to advocate for soccer. That's my passion. But I would be remiss if we said it's a one shoe fits all. It's not. Every division has their own challenges, whether it's the NCAA or NJCAA. You know, my goal is to spread the love, if you will, and try to really work to, to represent all coaches at every level. United Soccer Coaches has a new hire handling all the college programs, Patricia Trish Hughes. And we already mentioned one topic that is almost specifically just to one little area, Division I men. How does one person represent the issues of both the men's and women's game in this all-important role, Trish? 
I think it's meeting with the, the respective representatives on both the men's side and the women's side. I know currently the needs are a little bit different. I do think it, it helps when there is cohesion and collaboration as you try to push some of these agendas over the line. So I think it's working to represent both sides of the fence, but ultimately trying to advocate for Division One soccer. But again, I think it goes back to the listening piece. I think it's meeting with the respective coaches and the thought leaders within the respective sides of the fence, whether it's Division One men or women. And then really, you know, reaching out to close colleagues who are coaches and, and hearing directly from them. Um, so it's a lot of listening, framing out what our, our goals are and how do we strategically move forward with that. I certainly think this, this takes time. It, it's not an overnight solution. But, you know, I have a lot of friends in the game who I know them well. I know their, their commitment and passion to serve their students and their student-athletes. So I think ultimately everybody's best interest here is the student-athlete experience and positioning programs to be successful and, and not impact students because of retention issues or enrollment challenges because we've kind of strapped our coaches with a set of rules that maybe don't work to feed the game in a year-round capacity. So I think it's multifaceted. I think it's going to take a lot of work. I think it's going to take having an open heart, open mind, and a thick skin to come in and work collaboratively to try and bring us all together. I was lucky enough, as I told you, to break into soccer with the U.S. women's team back in the late 80s, early 90s. And now, as I look at United Soccer Coaches, I see Lynn Berlin manuel as the leader. I see Dr. Missy Price as the current president. I see advocacy chairs like Nicole Hercules stepping up for the black coaches, Haley Carter stepping up for the women coaches. United Soccer Coaches has done an amazing job wrapping their arms around everybody, no matter what your makeup is. Sure, that's right. How did that excite you about joining, knowing that they cared about everybody, no matter you know what you look like or different issues that affect us all? You know, we need to be an inclusive organization. And I think when looking at United Soccer Coaches, you know, we, we get we talk about the, the various levels of competition or the organizations, but it's multifaceted. It's representation of our black coaches, our LGBTQ coaches, and all the various groups that, that are part of our membership that we ultimately serve. And it's standing in alignment. I'm working collaboratively with them. I'm excited about my work and support of the Advocacy Council. In my role at Salem, I've worked very, very intensely on representation and ultimately creating safe spaces and an open inclusive environment for all of our constituents, whether those are our, our coaches, our black coaches, members of the LGBTQ community, and ultimately our student athletes. And I think that's what's most important. Coaches serve, coaches lead, and they lead student athletes that come from all backgrounds. And we need to make sure that we empower our coaches to lead and be great representatives and, and ultimately, you know, serve their students at a really high level and ensure that, that we create both inclusive and safe spaces for, for all involved. So I'm very excited about this work. It's, it's something I'm very, very passionate about. As you know, Dean, I have a, a wife and a young son and we have been blessed with great people around us who support us. My hope and goal is to be able to continue to, to do the same for all of our coaches. We're here with Trish Hughes, the new United Soccer Coaches College Programs Officer and we know that coming up in May, down the road from where I'm doing this podcast in Cary, North Carolina, the D1 men and women 
are going to combine. That'll be exciting, albeit they'll be a little bit smaller fields. I know D2 and D3 are still trying to work things out, but I imagine as part of the Trish Hughes tour, as you listen and learn and get to know things, that perhaps some of these championships you'll try to be at, I would assume, in some way. Absolutely. I am eager to get my vaccines completed, first and foremost, which I'm well on my way to that right now. And I've already got my, uh, I've got my own ticket punched to the, to the tournament, and I'm excited to, to be present, to meet coaches in what will be, I'm sure, a busy time for them, but just to, to represent and let them know that I am here. I mean, what greater job than to go to the soccer field and watch high-level soccer and get to meet like-minded people who are committed to the sport of soccer and working in the college ranks. It's a great opportunity for me. I can't wait to be there. And certainly I will be beyond the sidelines with my son, I hope, cheering on for everybody as a representative of the college games. As you went through this process and then finally got the call that you got the job, one, what was your reaction? And then two, in your own words, like whether it was your mom that you called or it was your best friend, what's the best way in your own words to describe why you're so excited about taking on this new role? Yeah, so I spoke to my wife immediately. My mother at 85 told me it was great, but I'm not sure she really understood why in Ireland. You know, it's a homecoming for me. It's just at the core who I am. And to be able to, to continue to serve in these roles and then ultimately go into the college game knowing that I get to represent college coaches at every level across the country, both men and women, is just a dream come true. So that's been, been kind of my, my reaction to this and is how lucky am I that I get to go to work every day, serving in an administrative leadership role in the, the largest coaches group in the world with United Soccer Coaches and represent college coaches. I certainly have, you know, have lots of experience, good and bad, and that I can share and pass on my experience and particularly look to help and mentor and advocate for coaches at every level. And I'm just grateful and honored to be able to, to again, come back into the soccer world and serve in a leadership role, knowing that I can do my best to, to have a, an amazing impact and represent the organization too. So I'm a college soccer junkie. Everybody that knows me knows it. I've done it for 25 years. I love it. I think it's important. It builds leaders. I still, when you look at the U.S. national team, even to this day, there's still more college players on there than you realize. There's college coaches that have had great success at the professional level, even coaching the national team. So in your own words, talk about how important college soccer is at every level, because I think it's important for people to realize, and even on the podcast, I'll say there's some D2 college programs that can whoop up on D1 college programs, and there's D3 that can do the same to D2 and so on and so forth. But your big picture view of college soccer. Well, so coming from Ireland, we, we didn't have this opportunity overseas and it still doesn't really exist at the extent it does in America. I mean, to come over and to be able to have an opportunity to work in your education and get to play a game you love every single day. And I've always maintained that regardless of the level that you play at or coach at, if you were fortunate enough to make it to a conference championship or knock off a top seed in your conference or make it to the national tournament. I don't think anybody in that moment ever said, well, I wish it was a higher division. You get to live out your passion. You get to be with teammates. And we know, we talk about the, the life experiences and the life memories that people create as part of a team. To be able to, to get on a soccer field and represent your organization or your institution, I think there's no greater gift. And for, for me, I've been so lucky as a player to have been able to, you know, not only play club at a high level or, or represent Ireland, but to come to America and have a, an amazing, great, fun 
playing career and then to to watch coaches do it uh, every day on the field and even as an athletic director I had to go to the corner of the field so as not to fall back into the coaching trap of wanting to yell and kick a ball uh, myself so it's just a dream to to watch coaches succeed and, and there's no greater honor for me than to be able to know that I could have some kind of an impact and and be a, a, an advocate and a supporter of, of any coach at any level I just think is amazing I think the college environment is is awesome. I think it's teed up a lot of the great success for both the men's and the women's game and certainly continues to serve student athletes at a really high level and in very high numbers. I mean, pro soccer is such a worldwide game and it's great to think that in the US we, we have some of the best in the world here on our own soil. So, And I think part of that is in fact due to the college game. We'll end it with just an open-ended question as you now work for United Soccer Coaches. When you hear those three words, United Soccer Coaches, and you really bring them in, what does the association mean to you, Trish? It's togetherness. It's coming together with a, a common a love and a passion for a sport that we all love and are part of. And, and whether you're coaching U11 or whether you're coaching D3 soccer or D1 soccer, I'm fairly certain we all do it for the love of the game. We do it not because we feel like we're going to get wealthy. I think the wealth comes in the shared experiences and the joy and getting to, to celebrate. And whether it's win with pride or lose with grace I think the experience of being able to be a part of such an awesome sport and for me soccer has given me everything and I've never tried to take that for granted and come into United Soccer Coaches looking to become part of the big United Soccer Coach family and then working to strengthen that family and be a part of an awesome team at the national office and work collaboratively with Lynn who has just been so gracious with me with this opportunity so just very excited and very humble and grateful for the opportunity. That is a drop the mic answer, I must admit. <laughs> I love that answer. Yeah, there it is. That's a great way to end it. Uh, here's the bad news. One of the things in your role is you are required once every four months to come on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. So you're not going to be able to avoid me, Trish. I hope that's okay. No problem at all. I, I would claim it as a great honor and I uh, look forward to spending time with you again. Well, it certainly was an honor for me to introduce to the entire United Soccer Coaches family, Trish Hughes and her exciting new role. Coming up, sometimes it's just a tweet that speaks so loudly and there was a tweet from Jeremiah Dempster, who is a varsity girls soccer coach in a small school in Manhattan, New York. He's been taking the advanced course online. He's been dropping in on seminars with Ian Barker and Vince Gansberg. And he now feels validated as a coach, a profession where sometimes you don't always get an attaboy or how you doing. I like his take. I like his tweet. We'll read the tweet. We'll get his reaction. And we'll learn more about Jeremiah Dempster, a high school coach in Manhattan, validated for what he does to help these young women and help grow the game. Jeremiah Dempster, after this message. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org college. 
Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank Trish Hughes, who's the new director of college programs for United Soccer Coaches for sharing her story. Of course, a lot of you also heard her on the webinar on Tuesday. Now we're joined by Jeremiah Dempster. He's the girls varsity head soccer coach at LREI in Manhattan, New York. That's right, Manhattan, New York. And it's the LREI is the Little Red School House and Elizabeth Irwin High School. Jeremiah Dempster, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for the invite. Really, really honored. Well, it was triggered by a tweet, and I'm going to read your tweet and then ask you to explain what you meant to say. And I know it's partly geared around your love of the association as well. Here's your tweet, quote, I truly talk so rarely with other soccer coaches, high school specifically, but I've been on these United Soccer Coaches Zoom calls lately. I never really have a sense of whether I'm good at what I do or a complete fraud, but getting to interact with other coaches is incredibly validating. Now, your tweet moved the leaders at United Soccer Coaches, and I know that uh, in jest, you know you're not a complete fraud because you're the leader of young women, <laughs> but uh, what made you trigger to fire that tweet, and what did you mean by it? So I sent that off after, I think it was the third of the four sessions that I did for the advanced high school diploma. And I work at a school who's in a, a pretty small league. We're a pretty small group of independent schools. The league kind of changes size every year. Um, sometimes there'll be, you know, up to 10 teams in the league. Sometimes we'll be down as far as seven teams in the league. And the coaches in the league change over. Um, I've been at the school now for about 10 seasons, and I don't think there's anybody else that's been in the, in the same league as long. So there's not really a connection to the other coaches in our league. I have a really great relationship with the boys coach, and there's a good you know group of people around the soccer program here at the school, but I don't have that sort of like outside of the school the community of coaches that I get to talk to very often. And most, if not all of my coach training has come through these programs, advanced diplomas, and these courses like this one that I was taking this year. And to sit on those calls, to get into the small group rooms, to get the opportunity to have access to somebody like Ian Barker, Vince Gansberg, those guys. I can remember after the first call, Vince hung around with me and Rohan, who's the boys coach here for another like 15, 20 minutes, just answer questions, talk in. It's really, really validating to feel like an opportunity to share ideas, an opportunity to hear what's going on at other schools, schools that are bigger than us, schools that are smaller than us, and to hear what other programs go through, to hear that they go through some of the same things, you know, when I don't get that peak very often. So it's interesting word choice because uh, unless you've been living under a rock, the word fraud was pretty prevalent in the political climate of late, as you know, for sure. So as you use that word, tell me in what uh, texture did you mean to use that word, coach? <laughs> uh, I mean, I was I was trying to create a sort of dichotomy. Obviously, I watch a lot of soccer on television and you hear commentators or would-be commentators on Twitter calling players and coaches frauds all the time. And, and living in a bubble sometimes as a coach, especially a, a head coach at somewhere. When I came to the school, I had I'd kind of secretly hoped to be an assistant to learn from somebody for a while. And there was an opening with the girls or I could run the middle school. I know like I'm competitive and I like wanted to, to have an opportunity and I'd never I never coached a girls team before and took it really seriously right from right from jump. But you know, essentially it put me in a space where I I was kind of in a bubble. 
You know, I design my practices. I run my practices. I'm out there with my players. Sometimes I have an assistant coach. Sometimes I don't. Even when I get a chance to talk to the boys coach, like there's no, I'm not at his practices all the time or anything like that. So, you know, I live in a little bit of a bubble and, and my word choice was more about creating this, like, you know, the space, like I, I could be anything from really bad at my job to really good. Like the feedback in general is minimal. I obviously, I feel I feel confident. I feel like I'm doing a good job. You know, uh, my players are happy. I feel like they're they're becoming the best versions of themselves. I feel like our program is focused on the right things, and we're seeing a little bit of success on the field as well to go along with that. But I think getting in a room with other coaches and and batting ideas back and forth, and you know, the prompts that we were getting as we would head into these spaces and the, and the things we would talk about. And it just gives you a sense of what you feel confident in, like where I feel confident to speak up in a group or where I'm listening a little bit more. What do I feel confident in? What does, when somebody else says something that really makes me think, and it gives me that space of like, oh, huh, that might be something I want to dig more into. And I, I think that it's important you know, community is is important in any aspect. You know, we we create communities in our teams and we want players to feel connected to one another and to push each other. And as coaches, we don't always have that same opportunity. We're here with Jeremiah Dempster. His bubble is the LREI, the Little Red Schoolhouse and Elizabeth Irwin High School. But he's validated through his association with United Soccer Coaches because you're sharing ideas and Obviously, Jeremiah, you know that United Soccer Coaches is based on the foundation of sharing ideas and educating, but to experience it in real life, right, real time, that made a difference to you, right? Talk how that moved you. First off, I feel like the opportunity to to push myself, you know, to, to learn more for myself, you know. As I had said, I've been at this now for 10 years at the same team, and and I still every season feel like and there's gotta be more like I, I got it. But at the same time, there's like a glut of materials out there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you buy a coaching manuals all you want and you can dig, you know, but, but to just like look up lesson plans or look up drills or watch YouTube videos, the real time people aspect of getting to talk to other coaches, I think is what I'm finding so incredibly valuable, really feeling a sort of like desire to improve. I'm in a space where I've looked at some of the advanced licenses and things like that. And I'm a high school coach who's a teacher. To take the time off and to invest the money isn't really in my my wheelhouse. It's not really in in my you know availability right now. And so when the advanced like the advanced diploma came up, I've had such a good experience going to seminars at Red Bull Arena, which is not too far from us, and and seeing you know getting to talk you know hear Ian Barker talk or the coaches uh, of New York Red Bull talk, and or getting onto some of the the seminar calls, the special topics diplomas and things like that's really been so incredibly valuable. But this experience of of actually getting in the I'm, I'm air quoting like room the zoom room with other coaches, like it was a no brainer when I saw that, that come up. And I, I pushed our high school boys coach to do it as well. And he did it with us. And my assistant coach from this past year is, is doing the course as well, because it seemed like the, exactly the kind of thing that you wanted to jump on. Do me a favor, paint a picture for me of your school. Cause admittedly, when I think of Manhattan, I think of high rises. I think of Nobu with my family. <laughs> uh, I think of visiting during Christmas. But I also think of 
kind of landlocked and I wonder where soccer fields are and that type of thing. So paint the picture of how you do your job as a high school coach, a high school girls varsity coach in Manhattan. Sure. Well, we're right down in the West Village where uh, a school, a K to 12 school that's, I don't know, off the top of my head, I'd have to say, I think we're roughly between six and 700 kids, give or take. Like uh, my team uh, on any given year ranges between 16 and 20 girls. And we are about four or five blocks from the water, right near Pier 40, if you know where that is. Um, And so we do a lot of our practice sessions over at Pier 40. We don't always have field permit space. (laughs) Or sometimes I go over there and I'm carving out like a 10 by 10, 20 by 20 space to work in with no goals for that day. But we also do film at the school. So I'll find an opportunity to watch back some of the games that we play or cut together some film and and try to focus on positive things, show the girls what they're doing right and what they could do more of. And then we have, you know, gyms that will run some recovery sessions and stuff like that. But we play a lot of games at Randall's Island. So we go up over to the east side and we go up to Randall's Island, cross the bridge over there. We also play, we'll play in Red Hook through the tunnel in Man, in uh, Brooklyn, excuse me. Then there's a couple of fields just kind of scattered up. We'll get one home game a year <laughs> down here at Pier 40. It's our one big senior game. Um, and then there's a couple of fields scattered up through, um, there's like Chelsea Field and stuff like that. That's just sort of in the middle of the city, like the middle of a block is just a soccer field or two with uh, fencing around it you know, like really high fencing to keep the ball from going out into the street, playing with the traffic behind the goalie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's kind of what I pictured. Now, before we let you go, and I want to go back to your tweet one more time too. So a couple couple more questions with you, but just tell me your journey. Where did you go to college? When did you know that you wanted to be a soccer coach? Tell me your journey. So I played high school ball in uh, Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. It's a small town with a D2 university in it, just south of Hershey where they make the chocolate. I went to college then at a two-year school at Hagerstown Community College um, in Maryland. Went to a a division three college and finished out Endicott College, just north of Boston. Played there, but I had been coaching little kids since ninth grade, summer camps mostly. And so I just, I I realized that like, this was something I love to do as well. I love to play, but but I love to, to teach the game too. And became a teacher, you know, through my degree. And then being in proximity to school made me, like helped me be in proximity to sports teams. And the very first team I ever coached was a co-ed team just outside of DC in Silver Spring, Maryland, a school called the Chelsea School. Went to Hawaii for a couple of years where I taught at a very, very small school that wasn't even big enough to have sports, but helped a friend start a intramural type soccer program at a charter school nearby. And those gap years were hard to not be coaching after getting that like one taste of, of getting to run a team for a year. And so when I landed here at, at LREI, I knew right off the bat before I'd even had my first day, um, I was seeking out the athletic director are there coaching opportunities available? And I was thinking, like I said, like boys assistant coach, girls assistant coach, something like that. Like learn from somebody more experienced than me. But he told me there were two openings, middle school and girls varsity. And and I jumped all over the chance. Yeah, I'm gonna read the tweet one more time from Jeremiah Dempster, the girls varsity head soccer coach at LREI in Manhattan, New York. Again, that stands for the Little Red School House and Elizabeth Irwin High School. 
And here's this tweet one more time that moved the leadership of United Soccer Coaches to reach out to me, to reach out to Jeremiah. Again, it says, I truly talk so rarely with other soccer coaches, high school specifically, but I've been on these United Soccer Coaches Zoom calls lately. I never really have a sense of if I'm good at what I do or a complete fraud, but getting to interact with other coaches is incredibly validating. Again, it moved us to put you on this podcast because we feel so proud in what United Soccer Coaches does. So with that, tell us you're validated and tell us what United Soccer Coaches means to you today and moving forward. I feel incredibly validated. It was a really, really good program. We had the fourth call actually just last night. It was a little bit sad, you know, and with the same coaches now four sessions and I know that they're off to go do their other things and, and got to know them a little bit, hear a little bit about the programs that they run. And so it's, it's really validating really, really uh, makes me feel really, really good about what I've learned, what I've taken from the course and the direction that I'm heading as well with my program. Took a ton of new stuff to try the coming season. Can't believe it's only March and I got to wait till August. (laughs) (laughs) But I think finishing up that advanced diploma course, seeing some of the other things that, that are in the pipeline there that I might jump on talking to my, you know, a bunch of the course materials have now become conversation fodder between the boys coach and I about what we want to do with the middle school program and how we want to help maybe lead and guide, make suggestions as to what we'd like to see happen down there as well. So I'm going to be chewing on a lot of that material for quite some time and and looking to see what, what else comes along. Well, whether you like it or not, you're now considered an ambassador to United Soccer Coaches all because of this lonely little tweet that, uh, caught our attention. Are you okay being an ambassador running forward, Jeremiah? Yeah, happy to do it. Jeremiah Dempster, if people want to reach you to learn about your tweet, what made you send that tweet, learn more about what you've received from United Soccer Coaches, is there an email they can reach you or via tweet? What's the best way to get a hold of you? I mean, sure, either. I can be reached at jdempster, D-E-M-S-T-E-R, at lrei.org. And my Twitter handle is at redcoachj, J-A-Y. Getting to interact with other coaches is incredibly validating. That is part of our mission. And Jeremiah Dempster shared it via tweet. And next thing you know, he's on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Coach Dempster, good luck with your team and good luck as you grow as a coach. Thank you so, so much. Really appreciate the opportunity. From a tweet to the airwaves, Jeremiah Dempster. Coming up, we wrap up the show meeting two more members of our 30 under 30 class. Jordan Darling and Quade Curtin. And it starts after these messages. This is Dean Linky again, and I wanted to take a moment to salute all of the great people that made this year's United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention such a great success. I had the great honor of serving as one of the hosts, and it was one of the best weeks in soccer I've ever had. With that, while the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention might be over, you can still get involved as we're just getting started. You can still register to receive access to all session recordings and the Digital Convention platform. Chat with your soccer coaching community and take in top level presentations from coaches around the globe, all at your own convenience. To register and receive access, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. That's right, you can still register for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention and have access to all of the amazing presentations. I hope you can take advantage of the special offer. And again, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. 
United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your players' development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. We are rolling through the great members of our 30 under 30 class. Great people, great names. Jordan Darling, love that name. He's the assistant coach for the ECU Pirates, not too far from where I live in Chapel Hill. Love going to Greenville. And Jordan Darling joins me now. Jordan, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it, Dean. Yeah, I know you said you haven't been at ECU long, but I've called some games at ECU. The Pirates, man, they love their sports teams. Oh, yeah. No, they love it. No, we just had, and we had a couple fans there as far as like friends and family of our players. And you can definitely tell that they're passionate to get back out there and support us. So it was awesome to get to see. All right, Jordan, you mentioned before we came on the air for this podcast that you're kind of new to North Carolina. So walk me through your path. Where were you born? Maybe a big club. Don't be afraid to shout out names. I'm big on shout outs, maybe where you went to college and maybe where you coached before you got to ECU. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely been a long journey, but a phenomenal one. So I can give you all the good details. Um, Let's do it. So I'm actually adopted. Um, I'm adopted from Bogota, Colombia in South America. I was adopted as a newborn, so I always joke around that, uh, you know, soccer was always in my blood. And if, <laughs> if I didn't do soccer, then there'd be something wrong with me. Yeah. Um, but after my parents adopted me, we lived in Maryland for about seven years until, until I turned about seven. We moved down to Mississippi. So I have a little Southern twang still in there. Um, and I grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi. So if anybody knows, it's the birthplace of Elvis. So we claim that. That's her name to fame. But grew up there, played soccer all my life, played for clubs down in Mississippi and actually played for a club in Memphis, Tennessee called the Lobos Rush and played all the way up until I was about a junior in high school. And then I got it in my head that you know, the cool thing to do is play football and I want to be a kicker. So but I joke around about that because I stopped playing soccer to try to do that and ended up not working out. So I went to school at Ole Miss and just was going to go there and figure out what I wanted to do. And I joke around about that because, you know, if I chose a different path, then I don't know if it would have led me to coaching, but I think everything worked out for a specific reason because my sophomore year of college, I decided that summer, hey, I need to find something I need to do um, as far as like a summer job. And I was like, why not coach club soccer? Because I love it. And I tell you, from that moment on, I have not only fallen in love with coaching, but the people within coaching, the players, the coaches, everybody involved. It's an awesome thing. I coached a U-12 team in Oxford Soccer Club down in Oxford, Mississippi, and those girls I mean, I think we only had six kids, so I don't even know if we had enough to like form a team and we figured it out and made it happen. And to be honest with you, I don't know if the girls thought they could win. And I mean, at the end of the year, we were second in state and I was like, oh my gosh, like it was, I was like, it was these girls, like they did it. They believed in themselves. They were a family. They came together. They were like, we're just going to, we might not be the best soccer players, but we're going to go out and have fun and work hard. And I was like, this is the dream. I loved it. Like I couldn't get enough of it. So after that, I wanted to find out how to do it at a higher level. I would probably would do anything to do at a higher level. And I was lucky enough to um, get on with the University of Memphis and their coaching staff, Brooks Monaghan. And I was on there as a volunteer assistant for him and his staff, him, Johnny Walker and Lizzie Simonin for about four years. So about 2014 through 2018. And then after that, 
I got an opportunity to go up to Oxford, Ohio. So <laughs> I knew Oxford, Mississippi. I didn't know Oxford, Ohio. Um, I coached at uh, Miami University with Courtney Sermons and Kim McGowan because Courtney Sermons got the head coaching job that spring in February, around January, February of 2018. She hired me. I guess I must have said something right. <laughs> um, but um, no, she's been phenomenal in my process as well. Brooks and her and everybody else around them. Um, have molded me to the person I am today. And I'm lucky enough now to be with Jason and Emily because they're phenomenal people. And I'm, I'm deeply um, grateful for everyone that has allowed me to get involved. And I'm super excited now that I'm with Jason and Emily to continue my path. All right. I love that story. I've had Brooks on my podcast before and I picture Brooks, he explain this retreat that he has that's amazing did you ever get out there it's pretty cool right oh yeah his farm down south yeah if you ever get a chance i mean i know they're in a snowstorm right now so they can't get anywhere but yeah no he has the farm down there he'll take the team out there he'll take his friends and uh go out there especially with his family and kids and hang out so it's an awesome place and i like your stop before you got to north carolina because i'm originally from ohio i never quite understood why they called them rivals because Ohio U when I was there didn't even win any football games, but I went to Ohio U and you were coaching at Miami. That's a pretty nice place, right? Miami. Oh yeah. No, it's a beautiful place. Obviously a great school, great education. Um, but like you said, the battle of the bricks, it's a big thing over there. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, like nobody really cares nationwide, but whatever, as long as they cared <laughs> anyway. And now though, it's funny cause you're a kicker and you said, you know, like, I like your point, you know, Hey, it didn't exactly work out, but I wouldn't change it because you became a coach. Now you think about ECU, man, that their football team hasn't been doing that great, but that's a football school. You know that, right? Right. Yeah. That and baseball, I figured out once I got here that those are two big sports here. So yeah, no, it's definitely is. How do you make sure they get behind this women's soccer team? Tell me they're going to support it and make you guys a, a powerhouse in the state and nationwide. I really think since uh, Jason and Emily got here, they've provided a great foundation. I mean, I can tell you the facilities here are top notch. To get this stadium packed, I think would be, I mean, I think they've done it before. I think whenever they got here, they had a really good year and they got a big crowd. And I think we have a big supporting um, behind us. And now we just have to continue to, you know, make that happen as far as providing good soccer. And I think we're doing that right now. I think we're going to have a great group for the next, I mean, the next years to come because, um, not only with this current group now, but with the youngsters we have coming in this fall, I think it's going to be a very exciting times for East Carolina soccer. So um, I know North Carolina is being a soccer hotbed. So I think just getting everybody here and letting them see what we have as far as not just the, you know, the soccer bar campus is beautiful. Everything we have around East Carolina here is amazing. So um, I think once people come and watch and see the passion and the heart that our kids play with, and once we continue to have this thing continue to roll, I think it's only going to be great things from here. I don't know if you've been able to see them live yet, but you're not too far from arguably one of the best women's pro teams in the world. They've lost some players, so they've got some work to do, but to have the North Carolina courage so close, that's got to be pretty neat for not just you, but for your entire team. Oh, yeah. No, it's awesome. I mean, whenever you have people like Naomi Osaka wanting to <laughs> buy a share of the NC Kurds, and you know it's big time um, because this is the NWSL has just continued to grow and grow, and I knew the NC Kurds was a big thing around here. And obviously, joining the North Carolina community is definitely amazing for me because I love soccer, and I think our kids do. Um, they love it as well. So hopefully, fingers crossed, whenever we get out of this COVID pandemic, we all – can get down there as a team and see a game live. Oh, that would be great. And I'm sure that speaking of great that Jason and Emily and even 
the players that you coach got to be pretty stoked for you that you are a part of this 30 under 30 class. Talk about your excitement level and then how much, for instance, like Jason appreciates that you have that distinguished 30 under 30 tag next to you. Oh yeah, no, it's amazing. It's something that's very unique to be a part of. Um, obviously, you know, it's sort of sad that we can't do stuff in person as far as the usual stuff with the 30 under 30 of going to the convention and seeing everybody in person. But, you know, I think they've done a great job with doing everything over Zooms and doing everything to the best of their ability. I think it's awesome. I think Jason has been super supportive of me of like diving in, learning, being a sponge, like getting knowledge from all these great minds that are around. Actually, it's funny. I'm going to have a call with my, uh, mentor after this call right now and um, I'm eager to meet her uh, Kara out of Penn State okay and it's I mean I think everything just being associated with it is just positives and for me I'm just somebody who wants to continue to grow so I just want to sit back and listen gain knowledge and just try to put that knowledge to work and um, you know try to make sure I make everyone proud from the 30 under 30 and the United Soccer Coaches Association along with East Carolina. So well said, anytime that you talk to anybody from Penn State, one of the premier programs, you know you're in good hands. All right, let's end with this because your path has been fascinating. You've stopped at some great places and places where I know those coaches. So I know that uh, they know good people and clearly they thought you were good people. Any idea on this crystal ball question, what you want to be doing 10 years from now, Jordan Darling? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, a couple of people have asked me that. Um, I actually had a phone call with our team leadership, Donna Fister, that works with us. And Big D. Yeah, yeah, Big D. She asked me the same thing. And I was like, you know, whenever I was younger, you know, you can like say, I want to be, you know, the head coach of a North Carolina or, some, or like a big program like that. And for me, I think just growing up, and to where I'm at now, I think it's just being involved and being loyal to good people. So like I learned at Memphis, like Brooks's staff is, it, there's not much turnover. Like that is like a family there. And really for me, that's a big thing um, because I know Jason and Emily and Brad Keller, for example, who was here before me, like they're all about like continuity, having great chemistry. And for me, I'm just looking for a great quality of life if i'm somewhere where i'm happy i can you know maybe have a family and again i'm healthy and i'm doing well then i'm 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 all good dean i'm all good i mean yeah as long as that i mean i know that doesn't really maybe answer your question fully but at no, the end of the day it's a great answer yeah, yeah i think my quality of life at the end of the day is the most important to me now whereas in the past you know i would have been like the bright lights and all that kind of stuff but i think at the end of the day if you're somewhere where you know, you're at a great place, you love the staff, you love the way the program is run, then why not stay? Why not stay a while if you know you're happy and your family's happy? i tell you what, there's worse places than Greenville, North Carolina. Great people from Greenville. I know you're feeling that already. Jordan Darling, now the assistant coach for the East Carolina women's soccer team. Hope to call one of your games someday, Jordan, and really appreciate you taking time to be on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, Dean. It's been fun. Yeah, indeed. Give your coaches my best and we'll see you soon. Definitely will. And we definitely will meet another member of our 30 Under 30 class to wrap up the show. Quade Curtin joins us after this message. 
Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. We just met Jordan Darling, a member of the 30 Under 30 class, and now we meet Quade Curtin. So let's get to work, Quade. Tell us all about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to college. What's your story? What's the Quade Curtin story? I grew up in a place called St. Joe, Missouri, St. Joseph, Missouri, but I went to a high school in Savannah, Missouri, which is about 10 minutes north. I didn't get the opportunity to play college soccer but um, straight out of high school I was able to get an opportunity to come up to Northwest and become a student assistant and through undergrad at Northwest I was the student assistant then I was the graduate assistant for my graduate degree and uh, after my graduate degree a, a new coach came in and asked if I wanted to stick around so now I'm the assistant at Northwest where I got my undergrad and graduate degrees and it's about 30 minutes north of where I grew up initially so still close to home. It's always nice having family around, especially when you're dealing with all we've been dealing with lately, right? Oh, absolutely. It's it's a nice outlet to, to have with everything that's going on. I agree. When I was researching you, I saw that you've been working on some work with U.S. soccer and then also getting uh, diplomas with United Soccer Coaches. It sounds like education is important to you. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's uh, that was one of my reasons for wanting to apply for this 30 under 30 is because you know, with coaching soccer education is very, very important. And this is just another opportunity for me to learn as much information as I possibly can and obtain as much information just so I can be that much better of a coach down the road and become that much greater for the players that uh, I'm going to encounter. So Quade, you already answered the question on why you applied. Can you answer the question on how you heard and who was the first person you called? How excited were you, sir? Up until that, the new coach, his name's Mark Gordon, came to Northwest. I, I really didn't know much about United Soccer Coaches at all. And he he got me, you know, in the system of United Soccer Coaches and going to the conventions. And um, this year would have been my, well, this year was my third year for the convention. But really, whenever I found out, he, he was the first one I called because if it wasn't for him, then I wouldn't have got to know United Soccer Coaches as soon as I did. Yeah, he's clearly one big mentor. Um, who are some other big mentors, Quade? I remember one of the first coaches outside of Northwest that I worked with was Brian Blitz from MU. Um, I went down there and worked his camps, and there was a goalkeeper coach there. Her name was Molly. I, I worked with her because um, Part of my duties as a graduate assistant was to coach the goalkeepers, and she was the goalkeeper coach at the time there and got to know a lot about soccer just through those two. So Brian Blitz and then uh, the University of Colorado assistant, Dave, I, I got to meet him at a camp in Hawaii, and he was actually one of my references that I put down when applying for this 30 under 30. I know you say you didn't play, but uh, you've done a lot of great things in the game, including being a, a member of this 30 under 30. As you reflect on your greatest memory working in this sport that you clearly love soccer, what might be one or two things that come to mind when you think about your greatest memories in the sport so far, Quade? Definitely one that comes to mind is, so last year, the first player that I ever recruited, you know, got to campus, got to offer 
a scholarship. She she graduated and looking back, remembering those four years of what she did, she was a captain her senior year. And it was just really great for me to see that whole process out. But it, it was kind of sentimental, you know, because I, I knew this player, this college athlete, this student for, for four years, and then finally her time's gone and you don't realize how quickly it goes. Even from the coaching side, you know, we tell our players that, hey, this four year goes by quick, but just from the coaching side, it, it it's quick as well. <laughs> so that was definitely, that's definitely a, a memorable moment um, having my first recruit graduate and go on. Second one, we've been working hard. Uh, Northwest wasn't, hasn't been that successful in the past years. And, you know, we made conference for the first time in seven years last year. And that was, it was a, a step in the direction that the team's going with the new, new head coach. Well, let's plug Bearcat soccer. Let's have you repeat the university. Let's talk a little bit about the town and let's uh, tell people why it's a special place. Northwest Missouri State University. It's a town of about 8,000, 9,000. Pretty small, pretty rural. It's special definitely in the sense that our football team has won six national championships. Our basketball team has won two out of the last three. Before COVID hit, they were number one in the nation last year and we're, we're hosting sectionals and they, they were tipped to, to do it again. But what makes that special for us is Mark and I are trying to build a championship winning program. And we have the luxury of being able to open our door and walk down the hall and talk to these coaches who have done it, not just once, but several times. So we're always in their office. They're always in ours. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good place to be. I came here as an undergrad graduate and I still haven't left. So yeah, you like it. Of course. I, li I like that tribute to it. Okay. So with that, if you weren't coaching, what would you be doing? What are some of your other interests? So my undergrad degree was therapeutic recreation with a minor in gerontology. I think I would, I'd be working as a therapeutic recreational specialist uh, in a, in a nursing home setting, doing activities for older adults, you know, uh, like music therapy and art therapy and these things called chair aerobics where we just get the person up, you know, active, moving. And, and so, you know, they don't live a, a sedentary lifestyle and they're, they're happy. And, you know, we're playing games, we're booking musical acts to come and just, it's, it's a, it's a fun time as a, as a CTRS. So if I wasn't coaching, I would definitely be wanting to work in that, that field. So if you've listened to any of my interviews here, I always ask the crystal ball question, a lot of times people say, you know what, I'd be perfectly fine 10 years from now being right where I am. And it sounds like you guys are trying to build that program, but I like to ask it anyway. Have you thought out 10, 15 years from now where you'd like to be, Quaid? Yeah, it's kind of funny because the answer you gave is it's, it's partly true. If, if I were still here 10 years from now, I wouldn't disagree with it. You know, I wouldn't think it's bad, but in 10 years, 15 years, I, I would like to have, you know, take over my own program and try to take as much information as I've learned from, you know, Mark and all these other coaches that I've worked with and, and try to implement something, something at, you know, a university. I'd love to stay in college athletics just because, you know, that, that point I made about that recruit, it's, I, I like that four years that you have, sometimes five years with a student athlete and just to see them grow and then move on and become productive members of society. That's, it's very gratifying to me. So yeah, I would definitely love to have my own program, but if I'm still here, then that's what the cards dealt. And yeah. You're okay with that. Yep. Cool. 
All right, we're here with Quade Curtin. Quade, sometimes I like to have a little fun, and you only joke with the people that you like. But granted, this is only audio. But I do got to ask you, you're a good-looking guy, but I just haven't quite figured out the haircut yet, though. Can you break that down for me, that uh, interesting haircut style you got going there, my man? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> it's kind of kind of high and tight. <laughs> I, I started cutting my hair about 10 years ago, and because I didn't want to you know, pay, <laughs> get my haircut and uh and so whenever i started cutting it you know the line used to be all, much lower but then you know one time i'd get i'd cut my hair and it'd be a little too high on one side so i'd have to even it out and so eventually this is what we've gotten to and i think i've been hesitant on just taking it all off and starting over from scratch got it you gotta hang on to that top part man i like yep, that absolutely <laughs> <laughs> all right quade well thanks for having fun with me thanks for all you're doing for the game at a young age and Congratulations to you for being a member of this exclusive 30 Under 30 Club. Soak it all in, and we hope to see you at a convention down the road, okay? Perfect. Thank you so much. I want to thank Quade and all of our great guests today on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. also want to thank Sean Chevrel and Bailey Coughlin from United Soccer Coaches and all the great people with the association. Also, mad props to Colin Thrash, our producer. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.